Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. Uh, this is episode 17. Uh, my name is Ben Jackson and as always I'm your host and once again I'm joined by our very own Rafaev and Richie Delat of the podcast, Scott and Yoris. How are you guys doing? Can I um, can I be Rafaelov for two main reasons? <laughs> One, he runs very fast and two, he's got fantastic hair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm good as well. Uh, yeah, you can be, you can definitely be here uh, if I uh, no worries about that. <laughs> I can't wait to dive into this one because what a weekend we had. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so we're gonna do our usual, go through the games of the week. Well, our games of the week, run through the results. Plenty, plenty of talking points. Uh, Yours has pulled out quite a few, so we've got a lot to get into there. We're then gonna look at the new uh, Genk manager. Yours and Scott have gone away and done a lot of research on the new man. So you guys will definitely leave this podcast more informed about him. We'll also have a quick look back over the European fixtures. Yeah, we might have a little talk about the title race. It, do we have yeah. to do the European fixtures? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we'll, we won't dwell on them too much because it was a horrific week. But <laughs> we'll sum it up and then move quickly on to domestic stuff because the domestic scene is quite exciting at the moment. So just to kick it off, Scott, why don't you give us your game of the week and then your player of the week? Yeah, well, game of the week for me this week was Oostend against Bruges. We know now it finished 3-1 to Bruges, and I think that kind of flatters them a little bit, although they had by far uh, the majority of the possession, I think around about 63% of it. They didn't really do that much with it. Oostend played pretty well, actually. I quite enjoyed watching them in this game. I think they're continuing to progress. They look much more comfortable in possession. I think they're creating more chances. Great goal, Makdar Gay. A well-deserved goal, actually. Quite how he managed to kind of turn with his back to goal the way he did and still drill it into the bottom right-hand corner is, is anyone's guess. But if you've not seen his goal, go and have a look at it because it was a cracking finish. Really, this game kind of hinged on the last eight or nine minutes, to be honest. It was it was one each up until that point, And then Ustain gave away kind of two really cheap goals uh, in the last 10 minutes. So in a way, it's kind of Oostend doing an Anderlecht and imploding in the last, the closing minutes of a game. Oostend failing to take some quite good chances, I thought. Bruges, interestingly, didn't create very much in this game, I didn't think, for all of their possessions. So the, there are some quote, some questions as to for them to address, I think. But we know about the long-standing you know, lack of an identified striker. Oostend, the better side, actually, over the course of the game, I thought. It was just a case that Bruges took some some chances which were gifted to them by Oostend. So, you know, defensive lapses um, late, late on in a game. But, yeah, it it's, it's continues to be a positive experience watching Oostend these days. Yeah, no, I'm glad you picked out that Mahtar Gay goal. Mm. <laughs> He's fast becoming one of my favourite players. I love watching him play. He's so, like, he's just really entertaining. So I was yeah. looking at his stats. I don't know what shot like count that the goal was but before that his two his opening I guess two shot attempts for the game were both bicycle kicks that just went horrifically (laughs) wide or over the bar when I'm like mate you're one of the tallest players on the pitch just get your head on it like (laughs) you can do so much more but hey if those have gone in I just love that he just seems like one of those players that like I don't know what's going to come next I don't know if he knows what's going to come next yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying watching him. His goal was really, really good as well. Really good, like yeah. the way he got himself into that position and stuff. But shout out to Matt Targay for sure. Yeah, and about that game also, well, Bruges also did take it mostly after the red cards. That's well, when, the, when Ostende was a man down. Of course, yeah. you still have to take the game, so credits to them uh, for that. But it made it easier for sure. And before, indeed, I agree, probably Ostende had a better of most of the game. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we'll talk about later, it moves them, I believe, back to the top of the table. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very tight up there. And we'll definitely mm-hmm. talk about that. But player of the week, Scott, did that come from this game as well? Or is it from a different game? No, it's from a completely different game, actually. It's from uh, last night's game between uh, Circle and Zulta. So I-, I went this week for my player of the week. Zulta's 24-year-old central midfielder, Omar Govea. Really, really strong performance, actually. And I'm, I'm going to call it the complete central midfield performance because it almost was. Um, he hit a level here where I think if he can maintain that, then Zulta might win the midfield battle in more games than not and start to pick up some more points. Um, all-round really strong midfield performance. Having a look at this, actually, obviously he, he was responsible for the, the assist for the opening goal, for Chori's opening goal. Three shots on target himself. 92% pass succession rate uh, throughout the game. He was responsible for creating three chances, eight crosses, four of which were, were accurate. All of his long balls, of which I think there were five in the game, two key passes uh, behind three of the chances he created, three interceptions, four recoveries, two clearances, four block shots. I mean, it was, a, it was an all-round really strong performance. I was surprisingly impressed by him, actually. Yes, I went for Omar Govea. Yeah, and Zolta really needed a win. We've spoken about it a fair amount, I think, on this podcast about just how out of form they've been. So I was actually quite surprised to see them win the game. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting some sort of like reaction from them eventually. But yeah, Circle have been quite good form. Interesting point about that game is also something I wanted to say, uh, but I'll, I'll throw it in now. Uh, the thing is that Zolta Wagen have finally won against a team that is not, call- not called Muskroon or Wasland Beveren. And... <laughs> The last time this happened was 14th of December last year. So almost wow. a year now. It's drastic like how much difference it makes when you look at the table in terms of just like winning one game down the bottom. It really does like bring a little bit of distance between you and the bottom sides. And also, like you said, yeah, just they're unbeaten in two games. So <laughs> things are only up. Joris, why don't you keep going? I know you've pulled up some really key moments from this weekend that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, exactly. I, again, didn't go for a real player or moment of the or a game of the week. Some remarkable feats. Not a single home team won a game this weekend, which on itself is already an amazing feat. But it's not only that. Only three teams actually won a game, while five games ended at a draw. And more amazingly, all teams have scored as well. I looked it up for this season. This is the first time that all teams that, that have played a game have scored. There, there were a few weeks where only one team didn't manage to do so. And surprisingly, it wasn't always Muskroon that it was the one that failed to score in these weeks. But yeah, this is actually really the first time that <laughs> all teams that played scored. To me, it's already amazing in combination with these other stats. So many draws and also no home teams winning. So all in all, that's a really strange uh, weekend. Yeah, some some of those stats are remarkable, Joris. And actually, see, when you think about it, when was the last time a home side scored five goals and still didn't win a game? (laughs) That's another one, yeah. Really? (laughs) Unbelievable. One of the reasons for all these goals was also the poor marking at corners and free kicks. I hope I didn't forget a team. At least all of, uh, I will put it in random order, Sint-Ruyde, Standard, Club Brugge, Kortrijk, Charleroi, Beerschot, and Zoltewaregem scored with men completely left free at set pieces. I can add, add Genk maybe indirectly with a throw-in as well. Uh, most notably is, of course, the, the last-minute equalizer from Kortrijk against Beerschot. We cannot not talk about that one. <laughs> 
with the baseball defense having the ludicrous idea of running forward in an attempt to put all contact players offside. And unfortunately, at least one player, and I think actually in the end, a few players didn't get a note and there was no offside, which in the end cost them the first spot. I don't know why you would try that when the game is not in your pocket yet. That was mental. That was such a crazy decision. Yeah, like, I just don't even know. I I literally, I was speechless watching it. I was like, what what is going on? Like, what have you done? You've just, like, almost scraped the win. In the most ridiculous of games, that game was just ridiculous. And it kind of was fitting that that was kind of the way it ended, wasn't it? Like one team just deciding to not defend, to do something that's... I think I've only ever... I've seen it a couple of times live when teams do that. And I'm always like, it's just... You're asking for it to go wrong. Like you're just... It can go it wrong so easily. I think I yeah. mean that, that that game that that game was just I mean we could probably you know talk all evening about that game. I, I think it's you know when I, we went and had a look at this because I know we were talking about this in the chat and of course Beershot as we know score goals for fun but they also concede them for fun and there's a ludicrous situation where they're they're almost top they're right in at the mix they're right in playing their part in the title race, but they've actually conceded more than Vaslan, Beveren and Zolta have, who have terrible defences, as we know at the moment. So it's just, it's kind of, it kind of summed up their their approach to defending. And I've now just come to the conclusion, you know what, I can't figure this out. I, I think it's, it's having a South American head coach. It's, you know, it's just, you know, all guns, all guns blazing, really. Definitely. Also, just another random stats this is the highest draw i think in the in the belgian leagues in the in this century in the belgian league i think it there was a draw in the cup eight years ago between Westerlo and Sintrada, but that was only after 100 well, after yeah 120 minutes so after added time yeah I'd, like if you haven't definitely watch the highlights of this game <laughs> it's just mental and i think so my game of the week was a game that we i kind of it happened on friday and we were like oh that's got to be game of the week. It was a uh, Mechelen three, Shalawa three. I was like, yeah, that's the game of the week done. Like nothing's going to top that. And then Beershot were like, nah, we're coming. We'll we'll do something better than that. But this was a really good game. I I watched it back again to do some analysis on it. I'll definitely check out some of the goals from this one. Jeffrey Hermans opened the scoring, and I, I've seen some people question the goalkeeping. And I know Shalawa, like I know you're. You've mentioned it before that you're not completely sold on Penateu. Uh, of Shalawa and I'm definitely not either but Harriman's hit this free kick so hard it was like an absolute rocket into the top corner and then they decided to do some horrendous defending as we've already spoken about to let um, Zai score from a free kick Igor Di Camargo scored a really nice goal again question marks over the goalkeeper potentially but it was a really nice goal then there was a Jordi van der Berger own goal which uh, got Shalawa back on level terms and then Issa Kabore malfunctioned at right back after a after they had a corner. And I think he was trying to pass back to the goalkeeper, but it was never, ever going to reach the goalkeeper. He hit it so weakly. Golizade picked it up, uh, ran through the whole of the Mechelen half, unopposed, scored. And then 83rd minute, Joachim van Damme scored a penalty to make it 3-0. And yeah, this was a really entertaining game. Not what you'd come to expect from Shalawa, and able to close games out than this, but it was entertaining. My player of the week was Jeffrey Hermans. I really like the way he plays. I guess they put him out on the right wing, but he doesn't really stay there. He just kind of drifts around quite a lot because they like to get Issa Kabore like bombing down the wing. He himself didn't have his best game giving away the that goal. I really enjoyed watching Jeffrey Hermans. I thought his goal was good and he's just all round play was really good. 
Yeah, we started this weekend off with a bang. With that, we had that on Friday, and then the next game was the five all. So plenty of goals this weekend. That's for yeah. sure. And to come back to to your game as well, like Caboret, indeed, that third goal was bad, and unfortunately, also he was one of these men that also um, ruled out and offside. So he actually had two goals that he could should have done better, could slash should have done better. Unfortunately for him, and also it was uh, nice to see Igor Lekamago score in his 600th professional game. Still going strong. He's still their answer up front at the moment. But yeah, and also, oh, another thing, also that game also could have easily ended at five five already. Oh yeah, sorry, I completely forgot about those horrendous misses. To mm-hmm. <laughs> four missed an absolute sitter. Nicholson, there's one that everyone's talking about that he missed, but he also missed another one. So I think Nicholson missed two really, really good chances, which won't help his case with Bellahino. I kind of like breathing down his neck, I guess, in terms of. Well, not for him, does like he is the preferred option. So he's kind of like fighting for his place. And I think missing those chances will definitely not help him. Yeah, I think those people were saying that uh, Defoe wanted to take the heat off of Aster Franks and uh, help him out by missing one. But I'm sorry, the Franks miss is definitely the worst miss of the season by far. Like, <laughs> Defoe's miss was bad, but it's nowhere near as bad as that other one. I think Mecklen are going to feature very, very, very heavily in uh, worst misses of the season. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think, you know, you mentioned Berahino there as well. I suppose everyone at the pod should pass on our congratulations because a lot of people were wondering, well, what, why is he missing from the squad? Of course, he became a dad. So if you're wondering why Berahino wasn't around for that cracking game, that's why. Yeah, I'm sure when he watches the game back, he'd have loved those chances that uh, Nicholson had because I'm sure he'd have backed himself to score. Yeah. Let's just run through the results from the rest of the week. Eupen paid Fazlan Beveren. And that one finished 1-1. As we've already spoken about, St. Luden against Genk. Genk won 2-1. And at that point, Genk were the only team that had won on the weekend. Antwerp drew 1-1 with uh, Standard Liège. If you see that one back, the Lestien goal for Standard Liège is just horrific defending. Oh, it's awful, wasn't it? Like, Lestien. Mm. There were two of them at the back post. Lestien, no, I can't remember who the other player was who could have finished it. And neither of them were marked. And then there was like three Antwerp players kind of like, Having a meeting. Uh, as Scott already mentioned, Oostend lost 3 1 to Brugge. Ghent drew 1 1 to Anderlecht. Anderlecht again conceding past the 80th minute. And then, yeah, Zulta Valagem, as we've already spoken about, beat Circle Brugge 3 1. Moving away from the on field action to let's talk a bit about Genk, shall we? I know we've had this manager conversation about Genk before, and Joris is begging us that this is the last time he has to talk about Genk's managerial situation. But yeah, the news broke that they've uh, appointed uh, John van den Brom as their new manager. And yeah, Joris and Scott, over to you guys. Give the people a lowdown on this new man. Well, yeah. I've, I've kind of gone away, haven't I, Joris? I've gone away and I've, I've, I've had a look and um, pulled together kind of the key biographical information for everybody. So for those who don't know, we now know that the new Genk head coach is 54-year-old Dutch coach John van den Brom, former midfielder. And in his playing career, he played for Vitesse Arnhem, Ajax, the Grafschap, and he uh, had a short spell at Istanbul Spor in, in, in Turkey as well. His playing career has actually got some interesting stats. I think something like 432 appearances as a player and 107 goals, which actually is not, not a bad stat at all for a playing career. When he retired as a, a, as a player, started off as a as the head scout at the Grafschap, and then not long after that, he, he became the, the senior coach at the Ajax second side, which is not a bad thing to have in your CV at all. 
I suppose his big break, his really big break as a head coach comes in 2003 when he gets the job at Benacom, which is a lower league Dutch side. Um, he's there for a year or so and then goes to some side called Ajax, who you might have heard of. He's there for three years and then to Appledurn, which are a lower league Dutch side. Three years there again. This gets him a move back to the Eredivisie this time with uh, Den Haag. He's only at Den Haag for a year or so and then moves on to uh, Vitesse Arnhem. He then gets possibly the biggest break of his career at this point because this is when it kind of gets interesting from our point of view here at the Belgian Football Podcast is he gets offered the Anderlecht job. Spends three years at Anderlecht between 2012 and 2014 winning the Belgian title. He wins the championship in 2013 and two consecutive Super Cups 2012 and 2013 it then kind of goes a bit flat and he gets sacked goes back to the Netherlands signs a contract with AZ Alkmaar and spends five years there which is the longest time he's, he's kind of spent anywhere then in 2019 he switches to Utrecht there for a year signing up this week at Genk looking at his overall managerial record in terms of the stats there's 556 games there across all of those clubs at a senior level 275 wins 106 draws and 175 losses which works out at and I suppose here's the key figure really if you just want a general overview that's about 49.46% win percentage rate but the key thing is pro league experience and he's won the Belgian title yeah, so actually, I want to stress it was not really three years with Andrich, but more like one and a half uh, in the end. Yeah, in the years, uh, it might look like three, but yeah, I'll, I'll go more to the subjective side of things, I guess. I don't really have any strong feelings about him. I do follow the Eredivisie a little as well. At least I watch all the summaries. I know the fans at Utrecht uh, now were really not unhappy with him leaving, but the side note there, that, that might not be a good sign, but the side note there i i do have to say that their ambitions are to storm the top three this season or come close to the top three this season and with the squad that they have i really don't think this is a really realistic ambition then more about him as a coach um, well as a coaching style more the positives are that uh, he's used to play offensively he isn't afraid of using young players either and he's supposed to be at least an okay people manager at least not as bad as Wolf on this aspect for maybe a bit less than Torup um, I, yeah, of course it's something difficult to compare especially as an outsider on the other hand some less good things are that he seems to fail a bit under pressure with uh, almost lost the title with Anderlecht when he had clearly had uh, the better squads that season mm-hmm. and uh, as it uh, while, while he's in during his spell there he, he had a few seasons straight that he didn't win against Either Ajax, PSV, and Feyenoord. Of course, that can happen. But yeah, as it did end in fourth and fifth spots usually for these few seasons, uh, then you would expect that they would win some of these games as well. Even less uh, good is that he's not really known to be very strong tactically, mostly relying on the individual talent of uh, of his players to make the difference. This can also play out right, of course. Uh, but all in all, only anyway, as always, we'll have to see. I fear a little. I like Henk playing offensively, uh, personally, and the club is also known for generally uh, standing for this kind of football 
but the results this season seem to indicate that this might not be the best approach for quick success. Yeah, of course, I, I wish him all the best, uh, and at least he's definitely taking over in a positive atmosphere after four wins in a row. I'll try to stay, remain positive uh, for this appointment. Also, know that given the situation, I think they could have appointed someone way worse. <laughs> I, 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 I find it quite interesting your research there, that when I was kind of doing some of the digging uh, over the last few days, kind of not only into the kind of biographical aspects of his career, but also what he likes to do as a coach. And he, he's clearly not a micromanager as a head coach. You know, he does like to let players kind of self-motivate. And I, I suppose I, I kind of wonder how that works in a way, because, you know, got, gone are the days where, you know, a la Alex Ferguson, you know, you could, you could kick a pair of boots in someone's face or or you can use the hairdryer approach. It's a difficult balancing act, I think, that allowing players to self-motivate in this day and age and, and, and also the pressure to kind of get results. So it'll be interesting to see how that works because that, that, that's a tough ask in a way. Yeah, that, that's a bit what I mean with like Wolf was really micromanaging as what, as far yeah. as I've heard and, and Torup is also more letting his players a bit more loose. Um, but of course, we'll have to see how that unrolls in a, in the, in the longer run. Yeah, I think you're right about the confidence because I think he's coming into a squad that are kind of seem to have a renewed confidence now. And certainly in the last three to four weeks, I've actually been playing on the whole kind of quite well. So I think that's gonna that's gonna buy him some time, which is which is positive, I think, for everybody at the moment. Absolutely. I think yeah, he comes in, like we've all said, like you've both both said really well, at a really good point. Like they're one point off the top with Charlotte having a game in hand, of course. But yeah, one point off the top of the league, sitting in fourth place, won four games in a row. Theo Bongonda seems to be scoring every week so like there's confidence in that team and it's kind of like I guess you're looking at it and thinking how does he approach it does he come in and start to stamp his authority straight away or does he come in and think okay there's something good going on here I just need to cultivate this and maintain this and like see how I can make this more sustainable for the long run future of this team and like keep this form going because you get it sometimes where a team looked like it's on a good run and stuff and then a new manager comes in and it just they start to kind of stamp all over what's just happened because they feel like they need to put their authority on the team and stuff. So it's going to be really interesting. I think, yeah, like you said, Josh, that the fact that you don't have any, your feelings are you're not against it, but you're also thinking there's definitely some worse options out there that we could have gone with. I find that's quite an interesting take from fans because usually you see lots of fans are either like full blown into it or they're fully against it. So the fact that it's kind of like, a, okay, we can see this isn't the worst appointment we could make. We're not buzzing about it. We're not like, yes, this is exactly what we needed. But it's at the end, of, at the same time, it's not a complete nightmare of decision that they've made. No, that that's exactly my feeling. It could have gone worse. Like as you know, for me, there was only one real candidate, but that, he didn't come. But I didn't really expect him either. And it's a bit of the going from the wrong side. You should go for the positive ones instead of a negative argument usually. But in this case, I think really it's not so bad and we'll see how it goes. Of course, also these four wins in a row are a bit lucky. I think easily it could have yeah. been only a six out of 12. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's got um, the international break to get himself settled in and stuff like that. Yeah, with half the squad <laughs> gone for international yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. football. So though. half of them will be really used to him and the other half will be like, we don't know this guy yet. So obviously, as we haven't mentioned, Musclon's game again this week was cancelled. Fingers crossed that they can get back out on the pitch after this international break. It'd be really good. We were really kind of intrigued to see what they're like. Um, and they are actually up against Genk next games. So fingers crossed we get to see that. We'll just take a quick break now. And then on the other side, we'll have a 
quick chat about the European games to skim over what was a really horrific week for Belgium and the coefficient point. And then, yeah, have a quick talk about the title race with it being the international break and no other fixtures to look forward to yet. to part two of the Belgian football podcast we're going to talk about a really depressing week in Europe for the Belgian sides in which no one picked up any points at all uh, we'll start with Bruges uh, in the Champions League they were up against Dortmund at home and they lost 3-0 all three goals coming in the first half but to start the game they actually had quite a few chances and I felt like if they'd taken one of those it could have been a different game but it was just a classic case, as we've spoken about it on this podcast, about other teams, that if you just don't take your chances, you're going to mm. concede. And against a team like Dortmund, it was just bound to happen. They didn't concede the greatest of goals either, to be fair. I don't know if you guys agree, but I just felt like the goals they conceded were quite avoidable, which made it even more disappointing, I guess, in the end. Yeah, especially the first one. Nearly um, should have done better there. Yeah, the rest, also not well defended, but can happen. Overall, yeah, the, the difference in class was, was there. Yeah, I was a bit worried uh, before this game, actually, because for those those listeners who've had a wee listen to the special that we did on Dortmund with uh, Chris Williams from the Bundesliga's uh, English radio channel, he was talking about how, you know, losing their opening group game, Dortmund losing their opening group game, uh, didn't go down very well at all to the extent that, you know, lots of senior officials at Dortmund came out and talked about Hanek unacceptable that was and so it's kind of quite clear that their next two games these two back-to-back games against Bruges were were going to be really big for them and they were really going to come at it hard yeah that that, that made it doubly difficult unfortunately yeah and I think as well it kind of makes it more frustrating about the Lazio result which they could have got because if we're just yeah. looking at the table yeah. now like yeah they're still in a good position to like I expect them or hope that they'd at least get third yeah. place because I hoped that they could at least make it into the Europa League. Because uh, obviously Zenit are bottom with one point, Bruges above them with four points. Yeah, I think they, obviously they can still qualify. They're only a point behind Lazio. They can still get through. But I feel like the longer Lazio have to get players back, the less yeah. chance Bruges have. But yeah, I think the start they made, the, the winning the Zenit game has put them in a really good position. We expect them to lose to Dortmund. We hoped that they could at least beat Lazio. But I think if they can beat Zenit again, they should definitely finish in third place. I don't think Zenit are going to beat mm. the other two. Let's move on to the Europa League, onto what was a really depressing Thursday. Yeah, I think if, again, plugging our specials, if you listen to our Poznan special with Chris, you'll have heard that we were all quite, well, me and uh, Scott, who did that, we were quite down on chances for Standard, and mm. we were proved right once again. They lost 3-1 to Lech Poznan away. They managed their first goal of the competition, uh, Lestien, <laughs> got them back to 2-1 but yeah Mikael Ishak scored two goals which I didn't expect having seen him play for Nuremberg a couple of times I didn't expect him to be able to do it in the European level but he's actually scored quite a few in the Europa League and yeah I think unless Joris completely disagrees because me and Scott said we thought the standard were out but I think you'll probably agree with us now Joris I agreed as well it was Ghent that I still had a little hope for but but also that light's light gone now as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> but also, like, Standard also were, again, unlucky a bit with the COVID in st- struck yeah. in the back of their team as well. On top of the Van Heusen injury, the front ones were back, but the, in the back they were struggling. And 
well, I didn't actually didn't really watch the game, so I, I don't know. But since they conceded three against a side only being Poznan's size. Sorry, yes, it was Ghent. You said we had some hope for, but they decided that actually, no, we're going to, we're just going to not have any, any, any say in this competition. They went down 2 1 to Red Star. I think we probably all agree that they're out as well now, really. I can't see, mm. like, mathematically, they can still do it, but. Yeah. And the, Shame because they were not really, not really worse than than Red Star in this game, and they sh- again, it's a bit the tale of their season so far. They should just take their chances and don't make errors at the back uh, yeah. and, and in any goal, especially. Uh, well, of course, there was a bit weird situation there uh, in goal that yeah. didn't help uh, as well. Unfortunate, and now indeed. Mathematically, it's possible, but whenever you have to say mathematically, it's possible. In Belgium, that phrase has been used for plenty of qualifications for European World Cups in the dry spell between mm. uh, 2002 and 2014. <laughs> yeah, mathematically, it's possible. Then it's really the last resort, and it's not going to happen. Or to 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 add some salt into the wound as well. That that awful week has resulted in the coefficient slipping just slightly. So the Belgians' place, I think, was ninth. I think. I think Netherlands have overtaken that now after them having some well more positive results than the Belgian sides did in the last week. So um, it's been a it's been a poor week, not just result aside. Yeah, and the sad thing is the the Dutch teams also were trying to also lose everything, but they didn't, and they didn't need much. They they were. But in the long run, on the long run, they would have taken, uh, would have overtaken Belgium anyway. But it happens mm-hmm. way sooner now, and that is not really an issue. Nine spots, still okay, as long as we stay in the top ten. I think it's fine. Temporary dip will be there, but hopefully, and that will depend on the results of this season. Even if teams don't qualify anymore, I hope they still can get some wins out of it, just for the coefficients uh, in the next years. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think, I think that's. I think that's a really important point because the danger longer term here, um, I suppose, for listeners to take away is that without some form of improvement in results, there there is a real danger at some point over the next couple of years that there might be no automatic European place for Belgian sides. And that's just a a position you don't want to be into. There's a whole catalogue of, we know, big teams from right across Europe who, you know, have spent years having to go through a ridiculous number of qualifiers to get into tournaments they should automatically be in. And we don't want the Belgian sides being in being in that situation either. Yeah, I think you you know that from first-hand experience as well. Yeah, we, we won't go there, but yeah, <laughs> take it from me, you 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 don't want that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Just looking at, yeah, so forget if people are wondering why we're saying it's mathematically possible. Nine points is the most they can get. Currently, Hoffenheim are the only team to have won all three games. Mm. Yeah, they'd have to they'd have to beat all three teams again. And they could have beaten Liverpool in the first game. Like you already said, they probably could have won this one if they take their chances. So let's just say they're probably going to win both games and then be in a position to qualify and then lose or something just to kind of like mess with everyone a little bit more. But yeah, I, th- I can't see them getting themselves at this one. So that leaves us with the only team that we think, well, I still think can go through, but they made it even more difficult for themselves by losing 1-0 to Lask Linz, which is Antwerp. Yeah, this was a frustrating game to watch from an Antwerp point of view. Johannes Eggerstein gave Lask the lead uh, in the second half, and it was just a poor goal to concede. Uh, I, I, was James... def- I was defending on the wrong side then. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, Richie. Richie Delat, who's been incredible. Yeah, bless him. And then, yeah, 
Lask actually went down to 10 men in around the 68th, 69th minute and Antwerp just could not get a goal. They just couldn't find a way through. Really, really frustrating because if they'd won that, they'd be top of the group and in such a strong position, three wins out of three. However, now they're level on points with Lask and yeah, let's hope they can get through really. We need it for the, not just for the coefficient, just for our own personal entertainment on Thursday nights to watch some Europa League action. But very much also for the coefficient because Austria is one of the dangers. <laughs> so losing against uh, Linz is really a bad thing. Yeah. It was like ba- it was anyway, bad for Antwerp and then bad for the country. Like it was just a bad time all round. Yeah, so let's hope they can turn it around uh, and at least not lose another time. It's not a shame though, and at least they are picking up some points, in, unlike Ghent and Standard so far. Exactly, um, like beating Tottenham. Can't really was great. complain much, but let's hope they can get something. At least also the loss was only one nil now, so they might be able to. Whichever win they will get, it will at least bring them um, on top of uh, Linz. Potentially on goal difference, of course, if it's uh, would also end at one 0 But there's a ch- there's there's some hope there, and also yeah. well, well, they get they did get well, they didn't didn't really get lucky, but there's a side story that they actually had made. Well, they, you can make five changes in Europa League now, but you have to do them at three timings, um, and apparently Antwerp did it in four, mm. but that was because the assistant referee was struggling a bit with the numbers on the boards, and there was one minute difference between two changes. Uh, and luckily, Linz didn't really are, are fair enough to not make a case. No, absolutely. And I think, yeah, they just were a bit flat as well watching the game. They didn't come out with their usual, like not necessarily usual, but they didn't come out with any energy. Kind of like what they did against Tottenham. They didn't. It wasn't a similar performance. So Leco looked quite frustrated. I think we'll leave it there on the European front. Let's hope that we get some more excitement and some more wins. So, guys, I think now that we don't have any games next week, we should probably just kind of have a little. A little look at the title race because that's exciting and that's a bit mental and yeah I think if we take just looking at the table now I think if we just take the top seven from Anderlecht up to Club Brugge Anderlecht are off the top of the table by two points yeah what do you guys think like why are we in this bizarre situation where we have the like seven teams that could win the title? I think um, well, we talked about how the coronavirus itself obviously is such an unpredictable factor in results. But I think looking at the bigger picture, that aside, we know how competitive this league actually is. And anybody can beat anybody, actually. Take Zilter's win against Circle. I didn't think, well, first of all, I didn't think Zilter were going to get three points, but I didn't think they were going to do it as convincingly as they did either. So I think things are just, yeah, I think a lot of the sides that started slowly are now starting to improve their form a little bit, which is why you're starting to see things get a bit tighter. It's just, it's now reaching a point where it's getting really, really interesting, I think. And I think it's going to stay like this for most of the season. I don't, I don't really see that changing, especially if Bruges can um, stay in Europe, because that's going to pose them a couple of problems. It's probably worth throwing into the mix. Charleroi actually uh, have a game in hand still on those mm-hmm. other six sides in the top seven. So they're um, joint top, Bruges, Bruges on goal difference, but Charleroi have that game in hand. And I was saying last week, I gave you all a hot take saying, I think they can and I think they will do it. 
I, I still think that. I still think that. Although the, you mentioned earlier, Ben, they had an uncharacteristically sort of poor performance by their standards in defensive terms against kind of Mecklen. First time they conceded three this season, which I know they weren't happy about. They spoke about that this week after the game, which I thought was interesting. Um, so they've obviously been told. Yeah, it's, it's 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 great to watch at the moment. Great to watch, and you know, if you've not been checking it out more closely yourself, I would urge you to do so. You looked at Charleroi's game uh, that they still have to play, but I will also look a bit down and add another team to the mix. Or Leuven can also join uh, if they <laughs> yeah. win. They still have a game in hand as well. It's so tight. It's unpredictable. It's also gonna be interesting because yeah. Actually, it's a so for now. It's a race for top four because these will, as yeah. as the looks are yeah. so far, the the playoffs are still going through. So the they might decide it. So it might be as a very important to get into the top four or the top eight for the last European ticket, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, but that's that seems to be more or less decided. It's a bit early to tell. Some teams might suddenly drop uh, quickly, of course, and others like Ostendo or Circle might get up to eight spot between uh, fifth and eight spot. Although that's also one point difference. So actually there's really no point in, the, in saying much <laughs> yet. There's, there's anything that is possible. Um, I, I'm surprised that so that Henk actually now are in that top four without performing exceptionally well. Okay, picking up points, but not performing uh, great. Um, it's so crazy. And I'm at least I'm happy that there's a lot of entertainment in these games. It's not that it's because many people, there are many draws, but they are not boring draws as uh, as we've shown in the first part. I think another yeah. another another big factor here, guys, actually, because I've been thinking about this because I knew we were going to be talking about it. And I think anyway that there are sides in the league at the moment, there are a number of them who have improved quite a bit much more so than I think we all probably thought they would at the start of the season. So, you know, Circle are having a great season so far. I think Leuven are having are exceeding expectations at the moment mm-hmm. with the level they're playing at. And Ustend again, they're another one. So there's at least three sides. And you could argue Kurtrike as well are not having a, mm-hmm. a bad season at the moment yeah. either on the whole. So there's there's another four sides outside of that top seven who at the moment are playing reasonably well. And there's no reason why they can aim to kind of get into that 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 top seven. So there's something really interesting going on below that top seven uh, spots as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's looking good. Absolutely. Do you, do you think that Club Brugge should have been more active on the transfer market? So they, they got their, they, they basically held their squad uh, from last season, but didn't really add much. They added Lang in the end and Sobol for another year of, uh, of a loan. Should they have done more? Should they have maybe have sold some of their players and brought in replacements? Yeah, I've actually been thinking about this over the past couple of weeks since Emmanuel Dennis has come back in and been playing up front. I think they should have cashed in on him over the summer if they were getting the bids that people were reporting they were getting or reportedly the teams were interested in him because I think they could have kind of flipped him into some nice transfer funds to then go out and get a striker what striker they could have got I'm not too sure I kind of I do like the addition of Noah Lang I like what I've seen of him so far but like I feel like they have quite a few players like that already that can kind of do what he does maybe not as well as him but kind of yeah I think they should have gone out and done some stuff I like the team as it is but yeah again like you look through their squad and stuff and you see like David Ocarelli still there is he like what where's he kind of in there thoughts and stuff I don't know if you guys have heard anything different or anything that would suggest where he might be but I don't know like I don't barely seen him this season he scored like one goal like if they aren't going to keep him could they have flipped him to a different team 
also I was also then thinking when I saw Kevin Rezai scoring another goal for Shalawa, I was like, is he the answer? <laughs> like, could they have kept him? I don't know if he really fits their system that well, but he's a striker and he scores goals. So yeah, I think striker-wise, that's definitely that's where the issue is. I think maybe they could have got another centre back as well. It depends where you think. If you think Kosonu's ready, yeah, I feel like they should have sold someone for a bit of money. I'm glad they kept Clevin Diata. I think he was important to keep, but I think they could have sold Dennis for a fair amount of money and then be invested that in a striker. Yeah, I think you know I agree with everything you were saying there, Ben. I think um, I think they've made a real mistake in in not pushing harder with the recruitment. I think there's been a little bit of complacency there. I don't know what to what degree they failed to land targets that were on lists, but I I, I think. I think not recruiting better and refreshing things a little bit has, has opened the door for some other sides. They probably didn't expect Charlois to come out strongly as they have. And they, they for me at the moment, they, they're they quite a bit ahead, really, in terms of their consistency and in terms of what they've got to offer. And Bruges are not offering enough on a consistent level, I think, to, if I was a Bruges fan, to be, to be comfortable that actually, do you know what, we can we can win this title again. I would, I would be quite concerned about that. Actually, like the motivation part is a bit my concern for them. Of course, to be honest, it's a bit of a weird question to ask now. They finally got top spot again, though, so things are not that bad. But there's something that seems they are more vulnerable than last season, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, if they get away with it this year, does, is that a good thing <laughs> or not? Like, do they need to kind of have this kind of season of like, actually, yeah, you need to, you've made some signings that you're clearly not happy with. Like Okarede, okay, Ola, Okareke, Kremenchik as well. Like, what, what's that? Like, do you want him? Are you going to use him or are you not? Like, there's some games against Dortmund where you're like, maybe if you did have a bit of more of a, a target, you could use him or other games where they're like, yeah, you could use him. Because now they're playing like Noah Lang kind of alongside Dennis up front or one of those two. And like, that's fine. But I don't, I feel like Dennis is better when he's playing with a more out and out striker or with a winger or as a winger sort of thing because they're crossing it into him and it's like, well, that's not his game. And then they're playing to Ketelara up front and I was like, he's just not a striker either. Like, he's a good player and I think, I think he's a good wide man or maybe even he could come a bit more centrally and playing off a striker, but he's not a striker. And I think, yeah, they're like, like you said, they're kind of lucky they can kind of get away with it for the most part domestically. But even then this year, they're not, really getting away with it as much as they used to. Yusuf Baji is an interesting one. They clearly like him. They clearly see him as an option. So are they kind of being like, well, actually, we're going to just roll with this and we're going to give him, we're not going to like kind of cut off his path into the first team. We're going to keep that option open and just kind of like when we think he's ready, he will be our first choice striker. But then, yeah, I'd be a bit annoyed if I'm Klemencic. I'm sat there watching them play against... Lazio and against yeah I get more than Lazio game I think watching it and thinking oh we just put like a striker on like an out and out striker I just felt they would have had a better chance in that game so yeah I think a bit of complacency also a bit of like we saw some of the rumours and I just can't believe any of them were true so I think Scott you were mentioning to us in the chat about Baz Dost was mm. one of the players that was linked with them and in my mind I was like well that was just like a strange one because he's a quality player a big fan of Baz Dost but I just don't know why he'd have left Frankfurt like what yeah, it just seemed like a weird one. And then wasn't there like a Divock Origi link? Which, yeah, again, I can't imagine if Divock Origi is available, he, yeah, he's not going to Blues. Like, there'll be so many clubs interested in him all over England, Europe. I can't see that one happening. So, should have got Mishi Batshuayi. I feel like he could have probably been an available option. But again, he's a bit like Divock Origi in the sense of like, 
if he's available from a top team in England, other teams in England are probably going to be more attractive to him. So it's interesting. I think, like you said, it's kind of a weird question when they're top of the league, but it's also not because it's like when you put into context of everything that's going on and you compare them to last season, I think that's probably all we've got time for. Obviously, no games to look forward to this weekend as we've got another wonderful international break that everyone's so delighted about. Obviously, thanks once again to Scott and yours for joining me, guys. Really enjoyed another chat with you. Yeah, it was, was great, as always. Always great. Yep, always is. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll, uh, we'll be back with you after the international break. Absolutely, yeah. It gives you time to catch up on our specials. also gives you a break from listening to our voices. Of course, as per usual, if any of the listeners are interested or are freelancing in football, definitely sign up to Freelance Football Ops, their subscription-based newsletter. Uh, every week, they find you jobs or potential openings in cover writing, design, video, or video and anything really in football media i think there's even like a social media manager one for uefa that came up on their newsletter which was quite cool um, if you're interested in that uh, just check them out on twitter to search for freelance football ops or go to www.freelancefootballops.com and yeah we'll be back again probably in two weeks time yeah in the meantime if you do enjoy listening to our podcast and what we're up to we'll be really grateful if you could leave us a little review if you're on apple if you're listening on apple podcast yeah and any like critique or feedback would also be really welcome yeah obviously get in touch with us send us in some questions so that Yoris doesn't have to cope with questions himself you can get in touch with us on twitter by tweeting at belgian podcast uh, you can also find all three of us on twitter i'm at benjack94 scott is at scott underscore coin and yours is at yoris underscore bet b-e-c-q alternatively if you're not on twitter and i can't blame you for that you can email us at belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com Thanks once again to everyone for listening and we'll see you soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.